Okay. Uh, learning tonight should be Elunishmas Rivka Bas Esther. Shama should have an Aliyah. All right. So this week we're going to be looking at Drush Zion in, uh, in Vayigash. And before I start, I just want to, you know, give like the basic introduction. I think it's always good just to kind of have a flow of what we're going to be talking about. So we're going to be talking about the Indian of Egla Rufa. Egla Rufa is mentioned in Parsha Shaftim, where the Torah discusses that we find a dead body. We're completely unaware of who the murderer is. We don't know. Could be anybody, could be anything. We don't know the circumstances of the death. So if it's between two cities, so there's an expectation that if you have a guest in your city, that you would treat him properly and walk him out and escort him and make sure he had the proper provisions and safety before he would leave town. That's the expectation. So if you're finding a dead body that's between two cities, so then the Torah places the responsibility of the death upon the closest city. And that's a whole process, right? You measure from the closest city to the body. In other words, you're trying to figure out what's the likelihood from which city did the, did the, did the victim come from? Where, where was he last? So that's what you're trying to do. You figure out based upon the closest city, which is a very interesting determination. The Gemara Baba Basra says, you see from here that, you know, distance matters, that a body being found close to something is a principle of Karo, that you go after what's Karo. The proximity is a determining factor in figuring out where something came from. So I don't know where, where something came from. I see there's a body that's here. I don't know where it came from. So I assume it came from the closest spot. So I measure to the city. I see that the body's from there. I assume that the victim came from that city. And then the Torah puts all of this extreme sense of responsibility on the elders of that city. They have to bring a special carbon, a special kapara. It's a very unique process, the Egla Rufa. You take, uh, you take the axe and you knock off the head from behind, a very, very, very unique apoda. But then ultimately the declaration that they make is, You know, they're able to say that we didn't do it. It's not us. And that uh, provides the atonement for Egla Rufa. So the Gemara and Saita asks on this Yisoyed of Egla Rufa, the whole concept is that what is this really about? Would anybody think that the Zikne Ha'ir were the murderers? Would anybody think that that's what happened over here? Is that the guy came, he was there, he was in that city most recently. So probably that's what happened. The, the, the big Talmud Chacham, the big Tzaddik, the Zikne Ha'ir from that city went out with his knife and he stabbed the guy on the way out. Does anybody really think that that's what's going on? What's the Pshat in Egla Rufa? that it's the elders of the closest city who are going to uh, bring an, an atonement for what happened. Why, why, why would they be held responsible? So the Gemara says that we see from here the power of levaya, of what it means to escort somebody out. The Gemara explains that th- their responsibility is that they didn't give him the proper provisions, they didn't give him the proper food, the proper drink, the proper honor and respect as the person left the city. That's what the Gemara says. But the problem with that, and this is really what's going to be addressed tonight is, do you feel that that explanation has adequately explained the question? The question is, why are the Zikne Ha'ir being held responsible? Great question. What did they do? What, what, what do they have to do with this guy's murder? There's obviously a murderer around, but it's clearly not the Zikne Ha'ir. So you, you could just say they're representing the city, but that's not what the Gemara is saying. The Gemara is not saying they're just representing the city. The Gemara seems to be saying, no, they're actually responsible. And the responsibility is that they didn't do enough for the guy. What didn't they do enough of? They didn't give him enough food and drink as he went outside. They didn't escort him a few feet outside of the city. But what's bothersome about that explanation is that it's hard to see how that would prevent the murder. It's a very basic question, right? There's some murderer out there. The murderer sees that there's a person he can kill, take advantage of, whatever it is. What in the world is going to be the difference to the murderer 
if this person has food on him or he doesn't have food on him. Maybe if anything, just the opposite. Maybe you'd first try to attack and kill the guy with the food on him and then the guy without any food, right? What in the world is the pshat in this Gemara that it's the responsibility of the Zikna year for not providing him for the right Leviah, not escorting him out with the right respect. That's why they're responsible for the death that occurred in this tragedy. Well, what does one have to do with the other? That's the Indian that we're going to be discussing tonight, but it's going to come specifically through the text and what the Zerah Shimshon does, so let's take a look inside. Pirish Rashi ala Pasuk. Rashi writes on the Pasuk. Now the Pasuk says, Vayaris ha'agolos asher shalach yosef. The context here is that Yosef is sending messages to Yaakov. Yaakov is back in, 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 in Eretz Yisrael. Yosef has just revealed his identity to the Shvatim. He just said, Yosef, He's trying to get his father to believe. So not just is he, is he saying, Dad, come down. He sends him messages. And the message that he sends him is that he sends wagons. And Chazal see a tremendous amount of depth in those wagons. They weren't just practical ways of carrying the gifts which he sent to his father, but we see a symbolism. Otherwise, we would say he sent it. Would they carry it in a shopping bag, a wagon, or a crate? It doesn't matter. If the Pasuk is identifying that he sent the wagon, then it means that it's important. So Rashi says, well, what does it mean? What's the union of the Agalas? Zot Rashi Simon Mosulam, that Yosef was giving his brothers a sign. It wasn't just here as the gift, but it was a sign. He was relating to him, remember dad, what we were learning right before I separated from you and it's been 22 years since I've seen you. But do you remember the sugya? Do you remember the Torah that we were learning right before I went to Mitzrayim? What was the Torah that they were learning? They were learning that Indian. They were learning Parshas Egla Rufa. They were learning about this whole halacha, how the female calf comes to, to be machaper for the zikni ear when the murderer is not found and you find the dead body. That was the sugya that Yaakov and Yosef were learning together, father and son. So when Yosef sends back to his father, I'm alive, he sends back the agolos and it's a simon to Yaakov in the idea of, please dad, remember this sugya that we were learning. And the obvious question which the Sarah Shimshon raises is yesh ladaktik. We have to examine. Loma dafka ira hadover. Why did specifically did it occur? Why did that happen? Which is a very interesting question. Why did it occur that Egla Arufa was the topic that they were learning? That's his question. Why did it occur that way? Second of all, this is a second question. What is the sign? What is the purpose of Yosef sending this sign to his father? Now, before I tell you what's, what, they, what he's going to answer and what he's going to develop, I got to tell you that I was in, I was in the Mir Yeshiva, and I won't name the great, great Rashiva that I, I had a relationship with that asked these exact two questions. I remember I was eating by his house, he got the exact two questions that the Zerashimshin raised. And he gave one of the, such a, an intellectual, cold approach. And I just want to bring a contrast to what the Zerah Shimshon says. I want to share it, just to, to share it, to show you the contrast. Uh, the Shivan Panam Taira, the 70 faces in Taira. He said, the Vart's like this. And honestly, did not make a difference in the world what they were learning. The point is, is that they were learning. Whatever it was learning, that's what they were up to. They were up to Agla Rufa. They were up to Agla Rufa. The point is that someone who's ligging and learning, someone whose mind is occupied with thoughts of Torah and is connected to the thoughts of Torah that they are learning, then wherever life takes them, it could be the craziest thing. You get thrown down to Mitzrayim. You're forever going to remember that story with whatever sugya you happen to be learning. And it doesn't matter what it is. And it's taka true to a certain degree. You know, you ask people, where were you on 9-11? Maybe, maybe I'm not a little old for that question, whatever. But where were you on 9-11, right? Where were you? So you ask the Tamil Chacham, where were you on 9-11? The Shaila's not, where were you? What were you learning on 9-11? What sugi were in the middle of when you heard the towers crashed? 
And a person, a Golub Atayra, will tell you in a second what they were learning. And it's true. It's really true. Because they, they, the way you relate to time, identity, relationship with everything is through the prism of learning. So that's the shot. They were up to Agalari. It happens to me, that's what they were up to. But that's what Yitzhak is sending him. He's saying, Dad, 22 years later, I remember what we were learning. The point isn't we have to run back to the base metrics. That's not the point. The point is I'm connected to that moment. That moment forever stands in time because I was learning that thing. To connect, to relate your, your life through the episodes of learning. It's a very interesting approach. That's what, they, that's what I heard here. But bottom line is, Zerah Shimshon is going to give us a very different approach tonight and what the symbolism of Egla Rufa is, the twofold question. A, why is that what they happen to be learning by chance? And B, what is the sign? Here, Yaakov, do you remember this? Or do you remember what I remember? What is the point in this? So he quotes a very cryptic Gemara in Saita, a very difficult Gemara. The Gemara in Saita says, V'yishlemer di'isa v'arakzayin de Saita, Egla Rufa inobal b'shvot sorry ha'ayin. That the real issue with everything in Egla Rufa is that the fact that people are cheap. You have a bunch of misers who are unwilling to part with their food. They don't want to, you have a guest. You could send them out with a lot of provisions. And instead of being really nice and generous and sending them out with a lot of stuff, they're cheap. They don't escort them out with a lot of food. And that's why the murder happens. So again, very similar to that other Gemara that we preface with. Here the Gemara is saying that there's a connection between people being cheap with their money, with giving him provisions. And that's why the Egla Rufa came. Who wanted that Yosef would be separated from his father? Right when he was in the middle of learning Egla Rufa. Why? There's a whole other Indian which is taking place here. Not only is he being separated from his father, but it's the beginning of the exile. It's the beginning of Golis Mitzrayim. Who wanted that he would always be closely connected to Egla Rufa. Which again becomes specifically because of the misers and people who don't give away their bread easily. Because through that he would be reminded never to eat the Egyptians' bread. And then the Jewish people who came after Yosef would similarly be careful not to eat from the bread of Mitzrayim. Shehu ra'ayin. The Mitzrim were very miserly. They didn't want to give the bread easily. And Yosef's going to remember the lesson of Egla Rufa is that people don't part easily with their bread and there, therefore the person got murdered. When I go to Mitzrayim and I see that the Mitzrim are also miserly and they don't want to give away their bread, I'm going to be very careful not to eat their bread. I'm going to respect that they're miserly. I'm going to see it as a good thing. We'll see in a second why it's so significant that he doesn't eat Egyptian bread. But I'm going to remember, don't eat bread from the Mitzrim. How is Yosef going to remember that? Because remember, I was learning Egla Rufa. And Egla Rufa came because somebody wouldn't give bread. So when I get down to Mitzrayim and I see it's hard to get bread from the Mitzrim, I'm not going to eat any bread. I'm going to be very careful never to eat bread from the Mitzri. What is so important about not eating bread from a Mitzri? The Esau, and, but just one more point, just to see, how do we know that the Mitzvah were miserly with their bread? How do we know that? Where, where does that accusation come from? So the Pasuk in Mar, Parshas Miket said that when the Jews came and ate the meal with Yosef, it says they ate alone because the Mitzvah couldn't bear to eat with the Jews. So the Pasuk shot is, why didn't they, couldn't they bear to eat with the Jews? Because they didn't like Jews, right? But the Zayar is developing that they didn't like eating with the Jews means that they, they were unwilling to share their bread with the Jews. That's what it means. That the, the Mitzvah were stingy with their, with their bread. They didn't want to share it. And that's why it ended up that, you know, if you're not giving me any of your bread, then I'm not eating with you. That's the point. So now, what's us follow the thought here? So now, the Zoyar, now he quotes from, the Isa Bazor Parsha Shmos. The idea comes from a Zoyar in Parsha Shmos. The Pasuk is going and actually quoting a Pasuk in Mishle that says, don't eat the bread of a stingy person. That's what the Pasuk in Mishle says. And the Zoyar says, it's a quote of a Zoyar. 
Whenever the Jews will go to Mitzrayim, the advice is, do not eat the bread. And if they would not have eaten the bread, we would never have been imprisoned, enslaved in the Golas of Mitzrayim. We would have been there with Yosef when the Jews came afterwards. But the whole Golas, the exile, the, 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 the vicissitude of what the experience was, that only came because we ate the bread. The Mitzmirim would not have been able to hurt us if we never would have eaten the bread. This is the Lashon of the Zohar. So basically, what we're seeing is, and this is the key, I'm going to put this together so far. I know it's a little bit weird. So far, the only information we have is that don't eat Egyptian bread. Very scary. The Egyptians are miserly with the bread. So take advantage of that. Never get too close with the Mitzri that he would feel, you know, oh, I'll just give him some bread. Don't. Make sure you don't eat the bread. And the way that Yosef's going to remember, don't eat the Egyptian bread, whatever you do, is because he was learning Egla Rufa. Egla Rufa happens because of a miserly person who is unwilling to share his bread. That's how the Egla Rufa comes about. Yosef remembers Egla Rufa. Now he goes to Mitzrayim. He has a reminder. He has a halachic reminder about the value and the importance of staying away from the Egyptian bread. From the Egyptian bread. Now, Clearly, he doesn't fill in the blanks, but we have to do a little bit of explaining here. Well, what, what is this Indian of the Egyptian bread? So what's amazing is that years later, and, 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 and this is from the Zayar and Nicholas Mitzrayim, but years later, we know about the Durabonans. We know all about Pas Akum, and we're very familiar with the halachos, even Bishal Akum they got to, but the real essential halacha was Pas Akum, not to eat the bread from the Goyim. You know, we're familiar with it, all sorts of like bakeries and commercial products. Those are all offshoots. That's not the... That's not the essence of the law. To really get to the essence of the law, imagine you have a neighbor, a good friend, the guy, he invites you over to, to break bread. Once you break bread with the guy, Chazal say, what's the next thing that it leads to? All sorts of issues, right? The intermarriage, the Avodah Zara, everything. All comes, we know from the Rabbanon, with breaking bread. The idea is when you eat with the bread of somebody else, he shares his bread with you, then dangerous things happen. It's a breakdown in the barrier between one person and another when you break bread. And it's true, right? That's why always it's amazing. You go out to lunch with somebody, it's different. It's like in a diamond. You have someone over in your house, in a diamond. But the before and after, when you break bread with somebody, is very different. So the Indian here is that we have to remember that we are our own worst enemy in Mitzrayim. Yes, we're down there. We're sent to Mitzrayim. We're there. But we didn't, it didn't have to be a gullus. It didn't have to be hard. It didn't have to be an exile. It all happened because we became indebted to Mitzrayim. And what way did we become indebted to Mitzrayim? By forging the relationship, by accepting the bread of the Mitzrayim. And that's exactly the point of the Zohar. Had we maintained our strength, pride, never to break the bread and never to eat with the Mitzrayim, then it wouldn't have happened. The whole thing would not have happened. We would have been there. We would have gone out. We never would have been enslaved. When you use the word enslaved, you have to think of it as an extension of being indebted to somebody because of the fact that you ate the bread with them. And it all came because of that. And that was the difficult point, which eventually happened when the breakdown with Yosef, after Yosef's death and the brothers, that's what eventually started happening, is that they started mixing much more with the Mitzrayim. But at least initially, the whole idea, the ideal was that, yes, the Jew would go to Mitzrayim, but as long as he doesn't cross that line, as long as he doesn't break the bread with the Mitzrayim, everything would be okay. They wouldn't end up being indebted to the Mitzrayim. There would be nothing to enslave in the Jew. 
Therefore, he says, that's the hint to Yaakov. First, so far we've answered why Hashem orchestrated that that's what they were learning. But what's the sign that he sends it back to Yaakov? Therefore, Yosef, here Yosef is calling to his father to come to Mitzrayim. That's a very scary thing to call to him to come to Mitzrayim. He's concerned and he realizes, hey, Yaakov might not want to come. Everybody was aware that there's a potential danger lurking in going to Mitzrayim. That Mitzrayim might turn you into an exile. Everybody's aware of that. Why would you want to go into the lion's den? It's right there. You're in the danger. Why would Yaakov want to go to Mitzrayim? I'm actually going to tell Yosef, I don't want to go there. I heard about this prophecy, about this danger of my children being stuck in Mitzrayim for years and years. So how is Yosef going to comfort him? Yosef sends him, no, 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 dad. Don't, you don't have to worry. I remember the lesson from Egla Rufa. I remember it very well. I appreciate that we are not compelled to suffer. We're not forced into this. It's not necessarily a given that it's going to happen. It will only come about if we eat the bread of the miserly people. That's the only thing we have to remember. We got to remember, don't eat the bread of Mitzrayim. Therefore, as long as we protect ourselves, we're careful, we don't eat from their bread, we avoid it, no issue. Zok there beautifully. He says, Yosef says, Santiago, he says, Dad, when you come, I'll give you food. I'll sustain you. So the Pashup shot is because there was, there was a famine outside of Mitzrayim, right? So that's the whole point. And Yosef is saying, well, I'll give you what to eat. But the deeper meaning in it is that I will give you the bread, Dad. Don't worry. You're not going to be standing here becoming neighbors, becoming well, well aware of the Egyptian culture and having to buy bread at the local bakery. That's not what's going to happen. I'm going to support you from me. And you're not going to have to eat anything uh, from, from, from the Mitzrayim at that point. And the truth is that there's an Alshech, which is a very powerful Alshech. Alshech says that originally, again, that this was the intent that when Klai Yisrael would go down to Mitzrayim, they wouldn't have to eat the bread in the Mitzrayim. That that's one of the whole reasons why the famine occurred. You ever wonder that? Why did Hashem make the famine in Mitzrayim? Why, why did that whole story occur? Like, what was Mitzrayim punished for something? Why did that whole famine occur? What was that? The Alshech says that it was to give Yosef the strength, the autonomy, that ought to have all the food in his control, that when Klal Yisrael would be in Mitzrayim, they wouldn't need to eat Egyptian bread. They would have Yosef's bread. And that was the ideal. The ideal was not to come and to go descend into a gullus. You have to realize when you're reading Parshas Vayigash, you're reading the reconciliation between Yosef and his brothers, but you're also reading about the descent into the exile. But the descent into the exile is not the given. It's not the way it's meant to be. That's not the ideal. The ideal is you'll go down, you'll be with Yosef and his brothers, you're going to be careful not to eat the bread, and nothing's going to happen. Beautiful. So, so far, where are we? We've answered both of the questions. We've answered why it was important that Yosef was learning Egla Rufa before he went down. The answer to that question is because it reminds him, don't eat the bread of the Mitzvah. Just like Egla Rufa came about because of bread and miserly people who wouldn't give it, so too I have to remember, don't eat the bread from the miserly people. And number two, what is he sending back to Yaakov? The answer is he's sending back to Yaakov this point that don't worry about eating any of the bread from Mitzrayim because I am going to be able to support you. However, the Zerah now raises a tremendous kasha and it really blows open the whole thing. He says, Omnam i kasha ha kasha. If there's a difficulty, this is the difficulty. Perak tests the Saita Aminan, the Git says in the ninth Perak of Saita, that you know why we went to Mitzrayim? Shibishar Arba Amo Shilivo Paro La Avram. There were four Amos when Paro escorted Avram. Zochov and Ishtabid Bavanov Abrameo Shona. Because Paro, and this is the time with Avram and Parshas Lechlacha, he walks him out. He escorts him from the palace. Remember that whole story? He lied. Sarah's my sister. She's my wife. The whole shtickle tire. What happens at the end? Power walks Avram out, the Pasuk says. He pays him the respect. He escorts him. He took four steps, four almost. 
Because of those four Amos, we had 400 years. In other words, what it's saying, it's a hard Gemara, we're going to get a much bigger depth to this in one second, is that because power walked him out four steps, that's why we were in Gullus. Vim Kane, if that's the shot, even if we're not going to eat the bread, we're going to be stuck in Mitzrayim. Meaning, we can't claim that there's an ideal that we're just going to go to Mitzrayim and we'll be careful not to eat Egyptian bread and everything's going to be fine. It's not the truth. Because it was already happened from the time of Paro. Paro walked out the four steps, he escorts Avram, and from there, at that point, it was Nigzar, it was decreed that the Jews are going to be stuck there for 400 years. So it blows open the whole Stickle Tire. The whole Stickle Tire says as long as we're careful not to eat the bread of Mitzrayim, nothing bad's going to happen. It's not true. It was already Nigzar from the time. The Gemara Saita says that he walked him out the four Amos. And now we're going to get to the depth. Remember that question I started with before we started reading this Arashimshin. That what's the Indian of Egla Rufa that if you give a guy a little respect, then it prevents murder? What in the world does giving someone respect have to do with, with, with saving, him, saving his life? So he says as follows. And this is where the shtickle, I guess, develops into phase two. Of course, it makes no sense to say that because power walked us out for Amos, therefore we have to be enslaved. We didn't do anything wrong. Because power walked us out for Amos, therefore we have to be enslaved. Of course, it's not a direct cause and effect. Ella, rather, only at the point that later we ended up eating the bread, at that point, they both became causes. Let's try to understand what he's saying. Walking out alone, we did nothing. Does nothing. Why should I have to be enslaved because he walked me out? But once we went and ate the bread, now we reflect on it and we say, both of them were causes for us to be in Mitzrayim. Now that's magic. How are you going to say that? What does that mean? And because, was it power? No, it wasn't power. It's because we ate the bread. But once we ate the bread, now the shot is because power walked us out also. What's the taich? So he explains, and he quotes from the Kliyakar. Kliyakar is one of his favorites. What's the of escorting a person? Anyone who leaves without any escort. The point is that the murderer see that he has no one who cares about him. That's the point. If I kill this person, the biggest concern on my mind is who's going to care about the guy? Who's coming after me? Who's going to be bothered by the fact that this person is not in the world anymore? That's the number one thing that the murderer is thinking about. So if he sees, the bandit sees that this guy is alone, he has no relative, no one who cares about him. This guy clearly has got no friends. That's the first person you go and you kill. That's why... Anyone will seize on that moment and go kill him. Because they don't think there's anyone to avenge Labad. That's the quote from the Kliyakar. So that's the Yisoyed. That's really the secret which flows this open. That the power of giving someone provisions, the power of escorting him, it's not only a sense of worth in the person, it's a little bit deeper, it's that it brings about connection. A person can live individually in the world, and then a person lives in the world knowing that I am supported, I have a background, there are so many people who care about me and will be there to protect me or even avenge my honor if hypothetically somebody kills me. The murderer is looking for a shvacha human being, a lonely human being that nobody really cares about. That's his number one prime target. So when he sees that there's no escort, there's no there, no one gave him food, garnish from garnish, he's a psalm, he's traveling, that's the person he pounces on. That's the whole Indian of why we do hold the elders responsible for the murder. They're responsible for not showing enough care about the person to provide at least that impediment from the murderer from realizing that there are people who will avenge his blood. Now we can say, beautiful. Why was Avram escorting Avram and Sar? What, what is this thing? I show respect. You know, I walk into the door. What is it? It's much deeper than that. It's a declaration. It's a declaration. This is my guy. 
I walk behind him. I stand behind him. And he's saying, Paro is saying with strength, you mess with Avram, you're messing with me. And that's simply manifest by the simple escort. That's all it takes. That's why Paro was Zoycha, that the enslavement of the people, it really didn't say it was going to be in Mitzrayim. It just said it's going to be in some land, that the Golas will come in any place. Why in Egypt? Why only in Egypt and not another place? Because the point is, Paro established the connection. Once Paro walked us out, and once he did that and showed that he cared for us, that he respected us and loved us and was going to avenge our honor if anything happens to Avram, the connection was there. Paro has already showed the love toward us. In that moment, we're not going to have to go to Mitzrayim yet because just because Paro shows that he supports us doesn't mean that, and it doesn't mean that we have to go to Mitzrayim. But if we go ahead later in Jewish history and we go and eat the bread, then it connects. Why does it connect? Because it's, Reciprocity, that's exactly what it is. Paro gives himself, he escorts Avram, he shows respect to us, he shows he has our back. And then when we eat their bread, we're responding to that. It's, a, it's almost like it's a gesture from Paro and saying, I'm connected to you. So as long as we don't respond to that, okay, we have people, many people who care about us, good, very nice. But if we don't respond to us and we remain distinct, that can be okay. But if we go and we eat the bread of Mitzrayim and now we give it back, so to speak, then at that point, then it understands, yeah, Paro is going to be the one to get us in Gullahs. The idea of our goals is that it's going to come through Paro. But it doesn't play out until we eat the bread. So it's a brilliant suggestion because it, it, it analyzes it from every angle. On the one hand, we say the reason we're in Mitzrayim is because Paro walked us out. On the other hand, it says the reason we're in Mitzrayim is only because we ate the bread. Which one is it? So you're going to say it's a little bit of both. Well, what's the depth in that? But he's giving a beautiful daich. Of course, it's only because we mixed and we ate from the bread. We became part of the culture. But what brought us to that? What connected us to power? What came to what came to Mitzrayim specific? The answer is it all started from power reaching out and establishing that 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 connection from to to begin. And to understand this as well, he's using this kliyakar that that all happens when you escort a person. It shows to the world. It shows to everybody. And more, it just shows between us that I have your back if I'm willing to walk you out. And that's the reason why we do, in fact, hold a murderer, that we do hold the Zikniya ear accountable, accountable in the moments when someone takes advantage. So just to stop here for a moment, and just, I guess, you know, it's like, a, it, it, it's, it's a powerful point, I guess. This is just to reflect on, it's, it, is, is, I think it's twofold. Number one is that it's a lesson, it's a takeaway in the power of having somebody else's back. In other words, for, our, for the positive, what does it mean that we can escort somebody? How can a person be Mekayim, the mitzvah of Leviah? How can you escort somebody? So you have it literally, as I'll say, you know, you walk a few steps out, you give a few things, you make him feel good. But, but, but metaphorically, where the mitzvah of Leviah comes out, it, it's a very, very, very strong point. You know, there's another time we do Leviah, and I think it's associated in everybody's mind. Leviah's Hames. Once heard this connection, I think it really penetrates. There's one of Leviah's Hames, and there's a Leviah of a guest. Both about Leviah, about the escorting. But they're really, if you think about the roots, the roots are exactly the same. The roots are establishing the absolute connection, and I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to have your back. By a mace, that's exactly the point. The person cannot achieve anything more. When you carry out it, what are you doing? It's the chesed shalemes. You're going to tend to every need. You're going to bury them. You're going to take care of their physical needs and their body and its suffering as their soul has left. You're going to say kaddish for them. You're going to learn for them. You're going to remember them. You're going to keep them here. They can't do anything at that point. They're the most helpless state and all the possibility that a person can have in this world is when their body is here without a soul. So we're malava the mace. What, what, what does it mean to be malava in that moment? It's exactly the kliyakar. It's the kliyakar 
mucker to the nth degree. Sometimes a guess, you don't know how much they need it, right? Everybody's macho. I don't need you to have my back, right? I got my own back. Everything's going to be okay. I can protect myself. That's the way most of us give off. That's the impression we want to give off. The reality, of course, is otherwise. But that's the impression we're trying to give off. But where it really hits home is Lavoya Sanes. Then you get it. Then you understand what it means to be behind somebody, to give them the respect. It has nothing to do with the moment you can't do anything, they're not going to come back. But there's only, only, only what you can do for them in that moment to push them, to propel them, to elevate them, to keep them as much as you're able to do. And that's really as long as we have it to look at that, to look at that with living people as well, to be malave, to give people a sense of worth, to give people a sense of protection, to give them strength, confidence that they can go into the world to a certain degree. That's really chinuch to a certain degree, that's, that's, that, that's what it means to raise a child. What it, re- what it means to raise a child is to get rid of them, pretty much, right? The whole process of raising a child is to establish independence from the smallest thing. From the moment, right? The moment they, only, they sleep, they only sleep mamish like a foot, away from, a foot away from the mother. Eventually, you can transfer them into a crib. Eventually, they get a little further. You're comfortable leaving them in a different floor in the house. Eventually, they, you can send them off to a school. Eventually, you'll leave them out in the house for a few hours. Eventually, you let them go in the... And the street for a few, everything in life builds up. The more you're establishing, you're good. You're going to be successful and I'll have your back. And no one can do that. No one can become truly independent unless they know that there are people who have their back. And it's a real paradox because a lot of times people think the opposite, right? I'm not independent if I need you to have my back. But that's not the truth. It's not the truth. As human beings, we're weak, we're frail. And that's the establishing and the connections. And that's, that's in here now what he's putting into Yiddishkeit. In the taruvis with the Goyim, the intermarriage, the mixing, the blend, whatever the issues were, all of the things that we suffered from in Mitzrayim, being enslaved to another person. What does that mean to be enslaved to another person? It means not being fully strong by yourself. Unfortunately, the people that we were indebted to in that time became Mitzrayim. We ate from the bread of Mitzrayim. But that's so metaphoric in that other way also. Yes, we need people to have our back. But who do you want to have your back? That's the point. Who's going to be there for you? Who's going to support you? So when we make the mistakes and we think it's the wrong people and we eat from those breads and we think we're going to be good, they reached out to me, I'll reach out to them. And it works, but it's really, in a way, it is our own worst enemy. That's the idea which he's portraying. And now he takes us on his last point where he finishes off. It's really switching gears now to switch to a different angle of what the bread of the mitzvah represents. Rashi Olavashalom Kosov Alapasuk. So Rashi is going on the Pesach when Hashem is promising Yaakov, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to abandon you at all. And then right after that, Yaakov says, okay, as long as you give me bread to eat, please give me bread to eat a little bit. Right, so what is the Pshat? Where does that come from? So Rashi says, Someone who needs bread is considered abandoned by Hashem. When you feel that you're in the need of someone else's bread, you don't feel like there is bread coming to you. And in that moment, a person feels abandoned. They feel, what does abandonment mean? And now you're hitting the core. What's abandoned? What does it mean, Sadiq? What does it mean, a nezav? A nezav means, I don't feel someone has my back. I feel I'm in it alone. To be abandoned means, I don't know who will care for me if I don't take care of it for myself. Someone who goes out seeking bread from other people, by definition, it means that there's a lack of trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Whenever we speak about HaKadosh Baruch Hu and the Amuna, the most important Sukkah the Zimra, we always describe it that God gives us the bread. The bread is always metaphoric, you know, of what, what sustains us, what nourishes us. That's why that term, what's a nezav? Someone who's abandoned. It comes, it's like two, it's two sides of the same street over here. Whenever a person is seeking bread from others, it means that 
It's not enough trust in God, which is a harsh reality, but that's the way he's portraying it. All the temptation. Why would you want to break bread with the mitzvah? What, what are you looking for there? What are you seeking? What is it? If you're really fu- fully honest with yourself, what he's saying is it really boils down to that you don't believe that God is doing it for you and that he has your back. And then in that moment, you're becoming Nezav. And that's, that's what's fascinating is that it's kind of like within our own control, whether our Kalish Baruch who fully has our back or not, or who we feel as of, and what actions we take because of those emotions when we're struggling with our faith, that's all part of that process and the struggle of what it means a human being to work through their faith in life. He finishes, So therefore when the Jews were in Mitzrayim, Had they trusted in the Abishah that he would give them the bread that they needed and they wouldn't have eaten from the Mitzrayim's bed. It was really a test. It was a test to see you're in a foreign place. Yosef is gone. He's not sustaining you anymore. If they wouldn't have eaten from the, from the bread of Mitzrayim, right away they would have been redeemed. Eventually that's the way we were redeemed. The way we got our Mitzrayim, it all took, maybe it took on 210 years, but it took us to the point to realize that we can't trust in Mitzrayim anymore. We always thought that as long as I'll do a little bit more and ingratiate ourselves and do this and build that for power and this will work out, then they'll be good to me. Then they'll actually have my back. The whole process in Mitzrayim was to bring us finally, finally, finally to the realization, no, power is not the answer for me. There's no answer for what I'm looking for here. I have to turn back to God. So that's why really, ideally, it could have been right away. They never would have eaten the bread. They would have seen it. They would have, clarity would have been there. We have to be But they didn't see it that way. They thought about all the things they could build for power. And Ron says, you know, I'm going to hear him say that it started off as volunteer work. That's the scariest part of it. You know, and you learn about Chiba and Mitzrayim. It's not discussed. I feel sometimes like on Seder night, you know, we talk about us being our own worst enemy over here. You know, the many Rishonim learn that we volunteered. Can you imagine how crazy that is? A person literally puts themselves into slavery. But because you're trying to establish that connection, that's what it is. If you, if you pretty much simplify the Shibut and Mitzrayim and put through this perspective, that's, that's exactly the point. It shouldn't come as a shock that we would volunteer it. You volunteer what you... You don't really want to go build a building for power, right? That's nothing that's clearly your desire. But if you're seeking something else and you're in the relationship and, you know, power walked out my ancestor generations ago and I'm, I'm reciprocating and I'm, I belong, I have a place, I can accomplish, I can rise, whatever, whatever dreams that a person has in that culture. So that's what brought us down. So he says, really, it would have happened that we would have been redeemed right away if we would have had the faith in not eating the bread. Even though the time had not been completed. He quotes the Yalka Shimoni. The Yalka Shimoni is the, one of the Midrashim. And it says, by Kriyas Yamsev, the Yalka basically says that that's why it took so long. But had that been there from the beginning, then we could have just skipped right to Kriyas Yamsev. In other words, that's basically the point. The whole entire Mitzrayim was working through the Jewish people getting to that level of Amunah. So Paro ended up having the right to enslave the Jewish people. He earned it. He earned it because he worked us, he walked us out, he escorted us, he established the connection. He earned it. But his earning only works when we give it back. That's the key of this of this whole piece of Torah. Only after they ate the bread. So what happened is we give back to power and remember this is the most important part. By giving back to power, by definition, it means you're also trusting less in Hashem. You can't have it both ways. You can't say I'm fully trusting in God and also I'm just trying to volunteer to build power or something. That's why I call the Baruch had to leave us in that pain of the Golas. He had to let us work out that the answer here is not power. 
So this is a very, very difficult piece of Torah. It's a lot of Musr tonight, honestly, from the Zerah Shimshun. But I want to just go over it because I think it's good to make a summary of the piece. Usually, I always love to do it. We usually run out of time. This week I said, let me pick a very, very short stickle. We can speak slowly, deliberately. We can see, we can make a summary. Take, put it in your pocket, take home something you learned tonight. So we have the Indian is as follows. The whole Indian of Egla Rufa is very schwer. The whole topic, the Adina Loshavchos, we hold the elders responsible. What did they do? So the Gemara in Saita says it's all because they didn't walk the person out and give him the food for the way. It's a very hard idea. How would that have prevented the murder? That's what, question number one, just in general, on the whole Indian of Egla Rufa. Kasha number two, specifically in the Psukim, is that we learn that Yosef sent back wagons to his father. Rashi says, why is he sending him wagons? Because that was the last thing he was learning. On that, we have two questions. Number one is, why did our Kodesh Baruch orchestrate that that's what the topic that they were learning right before Yosef went to Mitzrayim? Kasha number two, why does Yosef send that back to his father? What's the sign in what he's trying to send? On that, he starts his whole piece by quoting the Zohar, a very fascinating piece from Zohar that had we not eaten from the bread of Mitzrayim, we wouldn't have been enslaved. And the concept of eating from the bread is that it brings us in, in, indebted to them, it brings us into them and connected to them. Had that not occurred, we would not have had the whole thing. So Yosef was therefore needed to be reminded of Egla Rufad, which the Gemara in Sota says happens because the miser would not give away his bread and therefore the person was, was stuck there. That's what Yosef was meant to remember. Don't eat from the bread of Mitzrayim who are also called the, miser, the misers as we see that they didn't want to share their bread with the Jewish people. That's also part of the irony, by the way, as I'm saying this. The Egyptians don't even really want to share their bread. It's not like they're knocking on the door, please eat my bread. We have to go do it, right? We have to almost go out of our way to try to figure out how can I finagle my way in the relationship with the Mitzrayim to go eat of the bread. So therefore, after all is been done, Yosef had to remember that lesson. Don't eat the bread from Mitzrayim, whatever I do. And when he wanted Yaakov to come, he knew Yaakov was going to be nervous to go to Gullis. Maybe I'm going to be stuck there. Maybe bad things are going to happen. So Yosef says, no, 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 no. I'm going to give you my bread. Don't worry about it. You're not going to eat the bread from Mitzrayim. I'm going to take care of you, Dad. Everything's going to be okay. That's the etzem lesson in what Yosef was sending back with Agolos. From this perspective, if you'd stop there, you would think it only has to do with the bread. He blew this whole thing open with a kasha and the Gemara and Saita, a different Gemara that says that no, the whole reason why we we're in Mitzrayim is because power walked out of Avram Avinu four Amos, four Amos, 400 years we were going to be in Mitzrayim. So how does that work? It seems like it's because of power. And that he explains that the whole Indian of Levi as the Kliyakar says that it establishes connection. It shows I have your back. Paro showed he had our back in that moment. That doesn't mean we have to be subjugated just because he has our back. But when we come back to that and we reciprocate to Paro and we eat the bread, that's why we're Dafka to Paro of any place. That's when we become full circle. He extended to us. We crawl, we crawl our way back in into that. Even though they're miserly, they don't want to give us the bread. We make sure that we eat his bread. And that's how both points end up connecting beautifully. And the last piece, which, the last piece, which he mentions from the Rashi, that someone who's mavakesh lechem, someone who's looking for bread, is called the nezov. So his taich in this is, is that a nezov abandonment means from God. The idea of a person feeling like Hashem is not giving them, providing them for what they need. They always go hand in hand. Someone who's seeking the bread, someone who's going to eat the bread of Mitzrayim means he doesn't feel that he has a close enough connection with relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Ideally, we never would have eaten the bread. It would have been by Aminu Hashem right away. Unfortunately, that's not what occurred. It took us many years in Mitzrayim to realize that that's not going to work with Mitzrayim. But eventually, the Madriga that we reached on Kriyas Yamsuf, which was the, the Gula, all came simply from the words in the Pasuk by Aminu Hashem.